Welcome back, everybody, to the Unfiltered Podcast with A and C. Welcome back, everyone. We have some amazing topics to go over today. Uh, some of those topics are, why do we pay for a name? A discussion on, why are name brands so valuable to us? In Tech 101 today, we'll be discussing GTA 6. Uh, we'll discuss what makes a game fun for us. And we'll be talking about why gaming companies are starting to focus more on skin and purchasable, purchasable items such as that. We'll get into some personal conversation, and we'll end off in the dark and unsolved with an overview of the Demon Core. Cody, how are you doing tonight? Doing pretty good. How's it going? Awesome. It is going great. Sounds good. So, I believe that gets us going. Let's uh, start off with some fun facts here. So, in 2003, Lego was flirting with bankruptcy. And then the release of Bionicle happened, which accounted for 100% of their profits that year, which saved them from going bankrupt. That's amazing. So Bionicle, what's... Is there any background on that? Are you old? How old are you? You're not that old. I don't remember Bionicle. You remember those, uh, like, the Lego sets that were, like, robots? Oh, trying to think. Oh man, Bionicle! I'm telling you. Oh, look at that! You got Oh yeah, I see what they were. I remember these. That's all they sold that year. That that accounted for all of their profits that year. That's amazing. I wonder what happened. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think after that, Lego just blew up again, which is good. I mean, I enjoy Legos. I enjoy them as a kid. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, leads us to fact number two, which is sea urchins are called sea urchins because hedgehogs used to be called urchins until about the 15th century, which means sea art urchins are actually sea hedgehogs. <laughs> Poisonous sea hedgehogs. I don't think they're all or venomous. I guess the proper word would be. Yeah. Um. I mean, they all look like they would hurt to step on. So oh yeah. Would absolutely want to stay out of the way of putting my foot down one of those. Probably would suck. Made a spine material just right through your foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Fact number three. Yeah, fact number three. Following the D-Day invasion, the USS Texas intentionally flooded part of itself to allow the ship's guns to fire further inland. Uh, they brought the ship down into the water level. <laughs> yeah, so I'm guessing the side that didn't hold the guns, they weighed that down, so it tilted the guns up. Yeah. Gives it a little bit more of an arc. That's pretty and you know, good idea. 
Yeah, I mean, worked out. <laughs> I wonder what the axis is on that, what their limitations are. I've never looked at that. Sure. They had to be cutting it close with that. I mean, you never want to flood the ship. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess they thought, hey, if we can do it safely and the right way, we'll be okay. Yeah. Our final fact is dogs intentionally try to make humans laugh. They understand that laughter means play and play is positive to a dog. Hmm. So they're dogs are more in touch with us. It seems like, but I think it's because of the, they've been domesticated for, I think it's several hundred million more years than cats were even. Yeah, I think uh, dogs are first. Yeah, so they're more... They're able to understand us better, I think. I know um, the eyebrow reactions, because my dog does it all the time, those eyebrow reactions or puppy dog eyes, that was a learned trait, because they've kind of figured out that uh, humans can read facial expressions. Yeah. We can make a human feel certain emotion. <laughs> Yeah. So worry. The dogs are playing us. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that leads us though into a section that we're calling "Why Do We Pay for the Name?" Yeah, good question. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's everywhere. You look at it. Doesn't matter what the industry is or what you're buying. For some reason, there's a name that stands out, and it's the one that you're willing to pay more for. Hmm. So, I mean, it's not everybody. I'm not one of those people who go out and buy Versace clothing. But, I mean, I know what Versace clothing is, and I know that's a status symbol. Yeah. But it's interesting because what makes Versace Versace outside of the name? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with pop culture for stuff like that. Uh, Versace, Louis Vuitton, Gucci, any of them names. Um, there's a, what, what started the attraction to it? I'm not sure. Maybe it's just because it was an unattainable item that, that sets them apart culturally. You know, um, it's a status level. I, I wear a full outfit of, uh, Versace today. You know, I'm, I'm putting on $2,000 worth of clothes, whereas a normal person can't afford to do that. You know, I think it, it started as that, and, you know, now it's a culture. It, it, with the hip-hop and, and things like that, you know, with the chains and the different names. And there's even names in the chains, too. So, it's, I think, a lot of it's to do with just reputation. What are people buying, keeping up with the Joneses? Like, if you're into that, you're going to pay for that. See, it's not even that, too. Like, if you think about when you go into, I don't know, let's say if you're going to buy cheese, right? You're just buying a simple slices of cheese. Why are you getting craft instead of store brand? Yeah. yeah, so, I, you know, for me, I guess how I would answer that is, let's, I'm going to step away from the craft thing because I don't, I would actually buy the store brand. But, for example, like, let's say there's something I don't know about. 
um, a product that I need that I'm not sure of. Like, uh, I'm grilling steaks, and there's this special kind of cheese I've literally never heard of, but the recipe says it's going to be the key to this masterpiece. So here I am at the store. They have four brands. Three of them are priced accordingly, and one of them is, like, really expensive. Looks fancy, you know imported from italy aged and it has like some fancy stamp for the date that it started aging that i don't even understand but it's just like because it's there it means more to me (laughs) and you know so i'm pulled in by that and and i think the marketing and the do i have time to look into this cheese no i don't have time for that I'm just going to go to the store and pay for the most expensive one because the most expensive one's only maybe $15. It's not a big deal breaker. And I'm going to assume that that most expensive one's going to take care of me. I say, I, I don't know if that's a common mentality, but that's to give you an example. Yeah. I think, uh, recently we kind of just proved that, uh, the more expensive one, the big name is the one, to always buy, I mean, with you and your Lunchables, <laughs> uh, you've got the Lunchables brand as well as Armor brand, mm-hmm. which would be the cheaper brand. And I don't know, do they taste any different? Is one better than the other in your opinion? No, they taste different. You know, this is the same thing as, you know, does Coca-Cola and Pepsi taste the same? No. I to to a level they do yeah it's the same do they taste the same according to do they taste like Mountain Dew well yeah they taste the same in their own category but whenever you look at cola as a flavor Pepsi and Coke are different you know Pepsi has more of like a I almost want to say it's got like more of like a bittery sweetness. Whereas, like, Coca-Cola has more of just a straight-out, like, warm sweetness. Yeah, I don't I don't drink enough, uh, you know, soda to be able to tell the difference between a Pepsi and a Coke, to be honest with you. Yeah, but, but you know, there, and for you, it might be different. You know, which one do you choose? You go to the store, and they're both right there facing each other. Which one do you grab? Me, personally? Yeah. Uh... RC Cola. Because it's cheapest. You don't care about the flavor because you don't notice <laughs> yeah. the flavor. See, I would. RC Cola is, it's kind of like a real bittery, harsh flavor to me. Like, I noticed that. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Oh, you want to get, we can get this into a rabbit hole that really pisses me off. I think me and you have personally discussed this. Water. <laughs> Bottled water. Why do people pay so much? For a brand of bottled water. That is what... Something that's like a pet peeve of mine. I'm like... I don't understand. Mm. So, I mean... I've, I've done it. I'm definitely guilty of it. I, I've... <laughs> you know, if I walk into Sheets and I want a water... If I can't see the big thing of Aquafina... Because Aquafina is like two bucks for the big bottle of it. Usually, but... If I can't find that real quick, it's a Voss, Life Water. Um, you pretentious bad. You know, things like that. And I think it's just, I don't know, it, it seems the it's different in a way that I don't understand. 
and I can't explain. (laughs) See, I've done it. I've bought the more expensive waters just to taste them. Like, there has to be something different, right? And there never is. Yeah, I think they add stuff to them. Like, some of them say they're nutrient-rich. Some of them say they're this and they're that. Like, I, I don't know the science behind all of it. But I imagine you start with water. You know, water is water. And then I think what they're doing is they're, what am I doing different? Why am I charging this much? Well, I'm adding this to it, and it's better for you because of this. Or, you know, I'm just speculating here. I, maybe there's some of that going on. I would imagine there's some gimmick going on too. Like yeah. it's just a name, you know, it got mentioned in a song somewhere along the line and it's nothing different than Deer Park or Aquafina or any of them, but it's twice the price. See that's the problem that's the problem I have with it. It's like we've gotten to a point where water's now becoming a status symbol like Oh, I drink Foss. I drink Fiji. And it's yeah. like, well, I drink what's ever the cheapest and cold. So, yeah, <laughs> I, really don't. I don't discriminate against my waters. It, it's so hard. This this discussion, I feel like this could go on forever because it it really is. It's subjective to the person, from person to person. You know, like let's say there's you take two extremely rich people and two extremely poor people you know the outcomes could be totally different in parallel two of the you know one from each category one poor and rich person might walk into the gas station they just casually grab an aquafina and then they walk up to the counter and that's that whereas you know poor person a you know b and rich person B go into the gas station and spend 10 minutes looking through the craft water cabinet, if you will, beside the Aquafina one, where everything's twice as expensive. And, you know, that, that comes from, you know, why do they, uh, why do they do that? You know, to them, water matters more than apparently group A. Or maybe they were influenced in some way. Maybe one of their favorite artists. Uh, yeah, they talk about Voss, or they see them walking around with Voss because they're probably getting paid by Voss. But people see that, yeah. and now that's like the thing. Oh, I'm I'm like I'm like Future. I'm drinking a Voss. You know, man. I'm I'm living like Future. <laughs> and it's like to some people it's it's a little piece of happiness like that might actually be a good thing in a sense like maybe that little bit of overspending makes that person that's a little bit of happiness in their day so i mean it's such a what I, it's a real big give and take and back and forth topic i think what do i want to do though i just want to just grab random people off the street have 10 different cups of water right all at the same temperature and just have them rate them on a scale from 1 to 10 and see which one they rate the highest. I want to see if one of these fancy waters, craft waters, could outperform, like, a deer park. Yeah, yeah, it would be, it'd be kind of interesting. But I, I think you got to take the science into it as well. Why are they charging more? What is different about it? You'd have to have each of the waters tested, like, 
the pH levels, what minerals and nutrients are in them, and you know what what is in that glass. Things like Voss and that Waikia brand and Fiji, they're all because they're from different regions. They're from, I don't know, I think Voss is like Norway, the ice caps in Norway, and Fiji's from a spring in Fiji that's been untouched, and Waikia's volcanic water. (laughs) Which, I mean, they're all going to have different minerals, different pHs. They're from different places all across the world, so that just comes with it. But yeah, it's like it's weird to me. You could even go further down that rabbit hole and suggest that maybe you know have scientists looked into that. Maybe the pH level for some reason in water feels different to me than it does you. And if you're paying attention to that kind of thing, like I pay attention to that now because like. I got into that trend, like, oh, let's try the boss, let's try the Fiji, and, you know, I got into the niche thing, and whenever you go into it, I think there's a little bit of a psychological side of it, too, is, like, you're you're looking for something, and maybe there's some of that placebo effect going on, or maybe there's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, like, I would describe to somebody, what's the difference between Fiji and Aquafina? Fiji feels soft whenever it hits my mouth. That's what I say. It doesn't taste different. It just feels different. But is it, see, that takes us down the rabbit hole of this psychological. Yeah. Because if you get a $10 bottle of water versus a $1 bottle of water, mm-hmm. You're going to want it to taste better than that $1. You're expecting the bar is set way higher. Whenever you get Aquafina, you're just like, yeah, whatever. This is a generic ass bottle of water. But whenever you get a Fiji, you're like, oh, I'm balling now. I I spent an extra $2 for this. The bar is way higher now. (laughs) So it's like, is there that placebo effect or... You know, is is it scientifically able to be proven that maybe the pH level in Fiji does appeal to a majority of people and there is some truth behind this, whether it be if it's better for you, if it just feels different on your tongue, or if it's, you know, a combination of all these things, I don't know. Or maybe it's just a placebo effect. Yeah. I just feel like it's a placebo effect. I feel like people <laughs> just spending money because they want to treat themselves. I don't feel like water is a thing to treat yourself to when it comes to spending a little bit of extra cash. Yeah. There's a lot better products to go ahead and treat yourself to. Yeah. That leads us to the next thing, which is liquor. Like everyone's all Remy Martin, Hennessy. I've tried both. And to be honest with you, I have disliked both heavily. Just not a big fan of cognac. Yeah. I, Which I think that's just because it's so pushed in mainstream pop culture. I wasn't either, but there's there's other things that are good. Like um, there was, I, and I can't remember to this day what it is, but there was. It, I was at a party years ago, and this guy had a bottle of Cristal champagne, and I remember we got into that, and it was fantastic. It was some kind of like peach tasting. <laughs> just fun in a glass and 
I'm sure that was expensive. The name on it, I didn't have. I had nothing to do with paying for it. Some guy brought it, but it was it was excellent tasting. Now, could you buy cheaper champagnes that taste like that? I have no idea. Probably, maybe. Wouldn't doubt it. But is it easy to do that? You know, I don't know. I'm not a champagne expert, so it's easier, and it pays me in time to say. Instead of saving $30 on a bottle of champagne that I'm, you know, it's not something I'm using every day anyway. It's a celebration product. It's a niche item. I'm going to go in there, buy Cristal for 60 bucks and call it a day because I know it works. Yeah. And it, I mean, we've joked around about the Ace of Spades for a while. Yeah. yeah. It, it might actually be horrible. Like, you know, you never know. <laughs> it's worse than ever. It's just all in the name. But it, it could be, I would, for what it costs, what it looks like, the whole, the whole cloud around the idea of Ace of Spades, I would like to imagine, and I would set the bar at, this is, this should be a 12 out of 10. You know, this should be yeah. out of this world, something I've never could imagine. <laughs> So and that's just the price on it. Yeah. The price, the way the bottle looks. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> everything builds into the placebo effect more and more. Yeah. So is it that or is it really better? Good question. I'd like to see if there is some science behind it though with the, with the way, cause I think even mixologists or whatever they call them, the, the people that go to, I think they go and get trained to make like very specialized liquor drinks and things like that. And I believe they've even acknowledged that. Like that's the reason why beer comes in different glasses of different shapes and sizes and things like that. And drinks, martini glasses look very unique. There's a reason for that. So I I think you could go that route too. See, that's that's the other thing, martinis. The only people you ever see drinking a martini are young women or an old guy who gets his martini straight. <laughs> I I just don't get the martini thing. Gin's nasty in my opinion. Gin tastes like there's like trees you'd put up into your car. Yeah nasty stuff. I don't know. When I used to drink, I one time, at some point along the line, I have tried like an apple teeny, which I think is a martini. It, I mean, it was good, but it it was awkward. The glass was awkward. It wasn't something, you know, I wouldn't want to walk around drinking apple teenies all the time. It's just completely inconvenient. The glass was like massive and it was like real shallow, so you had to kind of figure out how to drink out of the glass. <laughs> I'm a very simple person when it comes to drinks. Yeah. I mean, you get me anything with coconut rum in it, I'll drink it. <laughs> See, I used to like craft beers a lot. Samuel Adams. I, I was a big Sam Adams fan. If it wasn't the... See, I like the Kohler month brews that they had, Oktoberfest, Winter Lager, things like that. 
but you know, even in the summertime, I wouldn't stoop down to, um, or I would have no problem jumping back to like a Boston lager if I wasn't going for like a lighter beer, just because how hot it is. But yeah. you know, Boston lager Sam Adams in the summertime wasn't bad either. <clears throat> See, I don't mind Sam Adams. I think mine's just basically. Based on price again. I mean, Rolling Rock got into that. That's that's just cheap. Then, I mean, we spent dropped a couple extra dollars and got some Dos Equis. Dos Equis is pretty good. Yeah, I don't I don't remember what kind of beer Dos Equis is, but it's a pretty good beer. Then and you just kind of expand into the big brands. <laughs> you find your niche. Yeah. I feel like everyone can drink Miller Lite. It's just the most basic beer there is. For some people, that's all they want because it's cheap. It's beer. I'll tell you what I started with. Uh, I remember whenever I was like, I want to be able to drink beer. Like, you know, that awkward phase whenever you're 21, but you don't like beer. You haven't acquired the taste for it or whatever. So you're out at the bar with your friends drinking Kohler's and you're, you know, the ragging on you and stuff around here. That's how it goes. But one way or the other. So one night I'm like, I kind of want to try a beer. I, I do like the smell and things like that. I just never can deal with it in my mouth. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go commit. I'm going to buy a whole case. So I went and bought a whole case of Sam Adams Oktoberfest. And this is probably a bad idea because it was a full bodied lager. It wasn't one of the worst brews you could have started on with Sam. They definitely, you know, winter lager is way worse of a starter than that. But, you know, I should have been maybe Coors Light or something like that. Something real, not not a full-bodied beer. Don't do Coors Light. But I did. I I did the Oktoberfest, and it worked out. First couple. You get through the first couple the first few times. It's rough, and then after that, you're like, "That's pretty good, actually." Kind of like that. I think Miller was my introduction to it, and just getting a grasp in the beer game. <laughs> I think it's weird that it's something that you have to come to like. You just don't like it automatically. Yeah, I feel like that, and and then once you do, it's a whole whole open experience, like. Me and a friend of mine would, every weekend, every Friday, we would go to the beer distributor and we would specifically go halves on a sampler, like a 12-pack sampler, so there was doubles. And we would use that untapped app on our phone to keep track of all the things that we've tried. And, man, I think we've had a couple hundred different brews that we logged just doing that. And there's quite a few things that you wouldn't even bat an eye at, or at least I wouldn't. That after drinking, I was like, "Wow, that I would actually buy that again." Mm-hmm. So, I think the biggest surprise I've had in that is Coors Banquet because Coors is just I don't know, just piss water. But Coors Banquet just brings a whole another level to it. It's, it's yeah. good. Something about a nice small glass bottle with the yellow label. Is that kind of like their premium one, like? Uh... What's Bud Light Plat or Bud Platinum or 
I can't talk on Bud Platinum, but like Miller Highlights. Yeah. I can talk like, on. Yeah, I would say it's up there, but it's it's Bass Miller Highlights. Okay. Banquet. Yes. This is like the barrel shaped small brown bottles. I don't know if they. I must just never seen them. That or you just saw cores and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I. If I wasn't drinking Sam's, I would I would usually default to like a Bud Light or a Budweiser. Oh, you drank Budweiser? Yeah, I did. Bud Light usually. You and a bunch of other old guys drank Bud Light. There's a lot of us drinking Bud Light. <laughs> Bud Light's okay. Budweiser's where you gotta drink. Bud Light. My thing was more Bud Light. Budweiser was a fallback if they didn't have Bud Light. It was like, yeah, that's fine. Because that's usually what they like drinking ethanol. <laughs> but the but no, that's what like the platinums. That's kind of what that was. It had a way different taste to it, and the hangover was way worse. And all in all, it was a worse experience, in my opinion. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some brands hit it. Some brands don't. It seems like Bud Light may have not hit it for, for me. You. And that's the thing for me, because somebody else it may be totally different. Yeah, it's like Bud Platinums that are good. Yeah, which is fun. Like I like Blue Moon. You no. don't. So I couldn't even talk. You call Blue Moon bread in a glass, bread in a bottle. <laughs> I don't mind it. It's pretty good. I like wheat beers though. Wheat beers tend to go with those. Well, it makes sense. Get crazy, get crazy, and do a sour beer. Those those can be strange. Sour beers. Oh yeah. But um, how about IPAs? See, I can't do IPAs. It's like too bitter for me. My tongue does not want it. It's like stouts, IPAs, can't do them. Yeah, we got into a phase for a little while. I was doing like the Sam Adams Rebel IPA, like a red bottle. Mm-hmm. They were all right. It was a piney. It was more of a piney IPA. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I can't tell you I was really into them either because we got into some southern tier IPAs, and we, we tried them too. Like I said, we got into it for a couple months and, you know, sampled those. And I mean, other than the impressive percentage on the bottle, that's – they got a real unique flavor, and I feel like you got to, you're either an IPA person or you're not. <laughs> I mean, when it came to beer in college, I think our go to, which is hard because I live on the other side of the state, so it's not as available, was Icy mm-hmm. Light. It was cheap, and you get messed up pretty quickly <laughs> off of that. <laughs> you don't drink Icy Light for the flavor. It's just, that's that's the icy lights not there for the flavor. Icy lights there to have a good time. <laughs> There's a lot of people around here that drink that. I've seen that quite a bit. It's just your, it's like basic, yeah, like the most basic tasting beer you can get, which is fine. I mean, I didn't mind it at all. It wasn't special with the flavor. Well. Again, you don't drink it for that. That's why I kind of made the comment earlier about Coors Light being probably the starter of choice for me because everyone in that I talked to was like, oh, yeah, Coors Light's about as water as it gets. 
I mean, if you want to start out easy, try Coors Light. I, that's not my opinion, but it's pretty much general consensus from what people were telling me was that. Man, that guy gets you on Rolling Rock. Rolling Rock's about as water as it gets. Yeah. I mean, I like the taste <laughs> of beer now. I don't have this problem anymore, but... <laughs> I think I was with you the last time you tried to drink and it came out skunky. Yeah. I had a skunky Oktoberfest, which was a big shame. Could have been so good. The thing, I should have known better, though, because it was probably, what, six months out of season because of COVID, so they just couldn't sell Yeah, I think we went in March. Yeah. So that was partially my <laughs> yes. fault. See, that's just... That's depressing. <laughs> Skunky beer is always depressing. There's nothing good about it. It's just sad. Sadness in a bottle. I mean, I've kind of moved on from beer at this point. I've given up any care in the world about people like, oh, that's a girly drink. I don't care. If it tastes good, it tastes good. That's how I, I view that. And any cocktail you get is going to have more alcohol percentage than beer. So, Yeah. What makes it curly because it tastes good? That's, I mean, there was a time where I did, I drank coolers at the bar and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. You, you get comments all the time. <clears throat> but, I mean, you just got to, I found the best way to do in that situation, what you can do in that situation is just live it. Just own it. You know, yeah. whenever they bitch out your comment about your, you know, your female drink or whatever they say to you. Just, I don't know. Yeah, it tastes great. Love it. You buy another Mike's Hard Lemonade, Cody? Sure am. <laughs> See, I'm in the pina coladas. <laughs> That's the way to go. That just brings me to the beach, though. It's like, it gives you the whole vibe. You got pineapple, coconut, and you're just chilling. Uh, co- yeah, coconut rum. I like that, too. Coconut rum is the way to go, in my opinion. Huge fan of Malibu. <laughs> but now I think we came to a good consensus that when it comes to names, that it's all about status and getting that feeling of, hey, I'm up there in the big leagues now. Yeah. I can I can wear Gucci. I can rock a Rolex watch or Hublot. Yep, paddock on my wrist, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> basically, it's it's just keeping up with the Joneses. And I mean, I don't prescribe to that in a sense. Like, I mean, there's things I'll go with the big name on. And I mean, I think most people would. Uh, I'm trying to think of one. I mean, when it comes to phones, I don't get like a Lenovo phone or anything like that. I iPhone. And even when it's not an iPhone, it's a Samsung. Yeah. So you have two big brands. TVs, Samsung. Not TCL or anything like that. They're cheaper and they work just like a Samsung does, but... Something about Samsung, I like them. Yeah, you can look at things too, like customer service, warranties, 
stuff like that. I mean, those can be factored into that. You know, if it's a one hundred dollar product, but somebody's selling it for one forty, but they're a top name brand, people talk about them. They have a presence, if you will. Like if they have a name, they kind of have to back that. They have risk now. You can't just be toting yes. junk to people and get away with it. Like that's going to catch up with you. So at that point. I think you also have that level of stability that's like I'm comfortable paying a little bit more because we're already at a hundred bucks and I really don't want to waste a hundred bucks. So what's that extra 40? And then at least I got that one year warranty. <laughs> exactly. I think that plays a big role in the too is those bigger brands, they should have better customer service. It doesn't really play a role when it comes to clothing, but the tech sector, absolutely. I mean, imagine if Apple just gave up on customer support. Like, there was nothing. It'd be crazy. It's... <laughs> <laughs> so... I believe that wraps that topic up. So... That transitions us into Tech 101. Yeah, and I think we're going to go ahead and start off with some GTA 6 talk. Oh, yeah. Very excitement for that game. Yeah, what do you know about it so far? Through the leaks, I think we've basically confirmed that we're going to Vice City, which will be interesting, because if you think back to the original Vice City, it was a very, very small map, smaller than San Andreas was. And, like, the feeling you got when you saw Los Santos... Okay. Knowing that San Andreas was going to be just a small portion of what that map actually came to be. Yeah. That was cool and nostalgic all in its its own sense. But Miami, much different culture there. More of a party city. Yeah. So I'm kind of in on that topic. I'm kind of in between three things. Um, I've heard that it's definitely based in Miami for sure, but with that being number one, I've also heard that it's going to be focused in Miami, but the whole state of Florida, that would be number two. And number three was it's focused in Miami. Most of the direct immediate action happens in Florida, but then there's the rest of the United States incorporating Los Santos into the California side, which I mean, if, if, uh, you know, if I had to pick from one of those, obviously it's number three. It'd be great if we could have GTA Five just moved on to a much bigger map with more content. Would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot they could do with that, incorporating cities that they haven't incorporated yet. I mean, you've got New Yonkers, which we haven't seen a, a massive map for yet. Which I mean, that's a pain in the ass to drive in. <laughs> Because New York, in real life, is a pain in the ass to drive in. Yeah. But you got L.A., see what they can do with Vegas. Vegas is, I think, a massive one. A lot of content come out there. I think at at this point, if they could just just keep expanding onto what they have with the main, like, do GTA V era, where you have the Los Santos, and okay, we got this whole map, and all the storyline and all the businesses and everything. 
And then you move on to a new era, GTA 6. Now they add Miami and Florida. Now you have the East Coast. But you get to keep the GTA 5 stuff and the things that you know. You just gain this new era of content. And then it's mm-hmm. it's era packages and updates further from there until we get into maybe New York, like you said, and we get them. Las Vegas could be a fourth expansion. It, it could be crazy what they could do with it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, let's go outside the United States. Well, the United States has something unique, which some people view as good, some people view as bad. Not going to take a stance on that, that is... What makes GTA GTA, which is weaponry? I mean, you can't just go out and buy an automatic weapon in our country. You can't buy an RPG. Yeah. So. It's all about messing around. I mean. The small mechanical details matter a lot. Mm-hmm. Like adding a train into the game could add hours of gameplay for some people. Just the fact that there's a moving train. I mean, it added a couple hours for us trying to get things on that train. Dude, just the fact that the forklift had a movable front end that we could control with the other joystick <laughs> created tens of hours for us, our group. <laughs> the forklift the four, you know, five forklifts out on a, the 405 just flipping cars over and causing a pileup. Like, hundreds of hours of gameplay. Simplest thing. That's the <laughs> beautiful thing about GTA. GTA itself, like, there's backing stories within the online, like, gameplay. Mm -hmm. But it just allows you to do whatever you want to do. Like, there was countless hours spent on the bridge with those rocket cars, just blasting cars over the other end. The The amount of headaches and sore abdominals the next day from just hours of just endless laughing. To the point where you're going to pass out and you're seeing stars because you can't breathe. Like, it's so funny what you're doing with your friends. It's the, That's yeah. what makes GTA for me, at least. It's the... It's just... It has everything. It's got the story. It's got the... I can sit down and do this by myself content. The story that you want to do. But then whenever your friends are on, it's like... Scary as hell. <laughs> Let's exactly. go do what we normally can't do. See, one of the downfalls that I saw was the cop AI getting a little upgrade. It was too much. It's the thing that it, it stops you. And it's getting another upgrade where there's cameras now that can catch you doing things. They'll remember your license plate. And it's like, well, damn. Yeah. it's You definitely want to have the option to turn things off, which I think they missed that is the one thing I would say about 5 at least, hopefully moving into GTA 6 they correct this, is maybe you can't gain money in these lobbies, but you could turn cops off, wanted levels off, maybe pedestrians are all hostile. Things like that would be fun, where it's like you go in there with frozen game progress, you can play it multiplayer, but nobody can progress their profile in there. I, what's wrong with that? Let people do that. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't remember not. Oh. I want to say they are. I'm going to look it up real quick. Um, but I think community-owned servers 
might be coming to the console version of the game. Let me look it up. Find servers. Yeah, and you know, another another interesting thing is, is the trajectory of gaming. Um, I know one of my friends and, and I got to talking the other day and he's playing uh, Legend of Dragoon. Um, I think they remastered it or something for the PlayStation 5. And I don't think the graphics, or maybe it's not a remaster, it's just compatible because he said the graphics weren't like better. They, they were the same as they used to be. But I think he's been playing that consistently for a week now. I can't remember a new game that I've been able to binge for a week and not finish the campaign, at least. Yeah. It, it's more about skins and things like that. So that's kind of where I'm going with this. But that's a whole nother rabbit hole. I mean, I haven't found anything on the community on the server side, but it seems like a lot of people are vying for RP servers and stuff like that. Which, for our PCR, we should kind of need that to be community-owned, community-ran. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's something they would, if they want to put RP on to console, something that they would have to have for the console is a community-owned RAN server option, which, that's usually how you get rid of cops. Yeah. Just go around and mess around with your friends. It would be nice to have a, a fully centralized gaming where just everyone can no I shouldn't say centralized but like everyone's open Steam Sony <laughs> Microsoft everyone just coexists we can all play with each other and I think that you know let let people choose too you know if you don't want to play with people outside of your console then you can turn that setting off that's fine but yeah. I think that would enable us for exactly what you're talking about is, uh, you know, the only one that can develop GTA 5 or 6 or any other GTA in the console is Rockstar or, their, or people that are licensed to. And, you know, it's you and I can't go out and get a license to do that. And we don't have the accessibility to do that. So doing it on the PC would be much easier and, and enable the community to to grow, which I think that would even add free value to Rockstar's game. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, um, <clears throat> see, the issue I have with that is I don't mind people from other consoles. So it depends on the game. GTA, I wouldn't care. I'll play with computer, Xbox, mouse, keyboard. It doesn't matter to mm-hmm. me. Now, in a game such as Call of Duty, that does matter to me. Yeah. About to ruffle some feathers with this. <laughs> so, there is a very, very, very big misconception when it comes to Call of Duty and first-person shooters that in some way, shape, or form, controller users have an advantage when it comes to aiming. Now I'm here to debunk this because I use a controller. And the way I'm going to debunk this is, imagine 
going on to a website and having to use your two thumbs to click on things instead of a mouse. Why don't you do that instead if that's, that's so much easier? It's because it's not. And then you want to bring an aim assist. Aim assist does one thing. It gives you a first initial burst of aim assist. It doesn't aim assist throughout you shooting. And if anybody from the other team runs anywhere near your ADS line of view, your aim assist will lock on them, taking them off of your yeah. target. So it's really not an assist. It can be something that gets you killed. In, it's a, a double-sided blade. It can actually work against you. And many times it has pissed me off to the point of no end. Because you're like, you're, exactly. your joystick is literally like, you're trying to gently get it in there, but it's like, what the hell? Come on, go in there. They're shooting you. Come on, but it won't. It just it resists you and pushes you out of their box. Sometimes it doesn't mm -hmm. work out for you. <laughs> well, let me tell you, as someone who has now tried mouse keyboard on Call of Duty, there is no recoil on any gun. Okay. It doesn't exist. Every gun's basically no recoil, which, I mean, I'm cool with that. It's, it's an advantage to them. What I'm not cool with is not being able to be like, hey, I just want to play people who are using controller today. Yeah. And that brings us into why would we limit crossplay? I get crossplay does help with PC guys. I'm not expecting them to use controller anytime. But they can't. They're going to use, yeah, they're using their mouse and keyboard. Nine times out of ten. I don't want. To disable crossplay, I want to disable input method. Like I want to be able to play similar input be able methods to shoulder, yeah. instead of yeah, instead of similar console. I don't really care if somebody's on a PC using the controller. Yeah, there needs to be a level of granularity on how you can filter what people are using <clears throat> against you. If you don't care if people are using a mouse and keyboard or. Uh, even in the racing sector, if you don't care if people are using a, uh, you know, steering wheel setup, a whole freaking racing emulator that you sit in, then that's okay. You know, you can mm -hmm. leave that on. But if maybe those people only want to play, like, let's say I have a full $20,000 racing setup, I should be able to filter. I want to only play with other people with this too. You have to have yeah. the appropriate equipment to run with me type thing. I think that would be cool too. You know, so gamer, it give, it puts more control into you and as to who you're playing with. And obviously it controls your level of fun. If you don't like playing with people that play on a mouse and keyboard, maybe it's just the style of the way they tend to play. Doesn't work with the way you play and you've determined that you should be able to, you know, maybe you turn that off and you can play with controller people that tends to work out a little better. I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, while we're rustling feathers, let's rustle some more. Yeah. How about that? Sure. <laughs> let's go down the rabbit hole of sniping. <laughs> this was cool when Call of Duty first came out. Well, let me now dip, debunk the myth that is, and some people said that it's still cool. And this is why it's not cool anymore. You miss five shots, but hit me with one and I die. I hit you with five shots and die because you hit me with one. How is that anywhere near fair? 
It doesn't really take skill. Yeah. Like, if you... See, I think it's more impressive when people go around knifing. Knifing takes skill. Because it's very easy to cut out knifing. I'm okay with people running around with knives and do that. Don't camp with a knife. That's weird. I don't like that. I don't... I don't like people who camp with a knife, but if you're running around the map, actively playing the map with a knife, that takes skill. I can't do that. And I like to think I'm a very, very good Call of Duty player. So, if you're doing something I can't do, which I can snipe, <laughs> I don't snipe with a sniper, I use an M16. And I defeat the sniper. Yes. <laughs> so, if you're able to run around with a knife and something like that, yeah, I'm okay with that. Another thing that really irked me with this past Black Ops was the crossbow. And what irks me was it doesn't matter if you're on mouse, keyboard, or controller. You don't have to ADS. Eat. That thing is just overly accurate, and I liked it a lot better. I think the way to even this out is just bring back explosive bolts. Like, the person still has time to react to being hit with a crossbow. Yeah, because it was the same way. The problem is the mm -hmm. spread, the aim spread, whenever you're just looking, you're not even aiming. The look spread for your reticle on that crossbow is pretty tiny. If you're sprinting yeah. with a sniper, the whole screen is the, the scope. But whenever you slow down, it becomes smaller. That's what I'm referring to. Yeah, I think... Bringing back explosive bullets is the way to go. It's a guaranteed kill still. Like, you're still going to get a kill, and now it just takes more effort on your part not to get killed. Yeah, just running around, and and I think there's a lot of this. There's a lot of people running around, and if you go into sticks and stones, predominantly you'll see people using a crossbow. Why is that? Because it's easier to just smack or two whenever somebody runs across your screen and hope for the best. And I think in a lot of cases, that's how it works. See, when I play sticks and stones, I'm just a douchebag. I'm not really going with the crossbow. <laughs> Ballistic knives, I'm pulling my tomahawk yeah. out. I'm that but guy. Still, it pisses people off because you get reset. And like, if, if you get a couple <laughs> people in a match doing that that are good, literally nobody has points the whole time. But yeah. In the same sense, you're in that party game to have fun. You're not in a tournament. Mm -hmm. You're not in a land party sitting at E3. So, I mean, what, it's not a big deal. <laughs> and I think that that's a great segue to go into SBMM, skill-based mm -hmm. matchmaking. And I, I'm not a big fan of it in the sense that what made COD COD when we were growing up was the fact that you would get into one match and just get absolutely demolished. Yep. Like you can't leave spawn or anything like that, but the next match you can get into a game and just have fun yeah, with your friends. It's easy. Bunch of newer people or what have you. But you know, there was a nice yeah. mix generally. Nowadays every game you're sweating yeah. it out. Because you're against people of your same skill level or above. It's always going to be a push to become better. Sometimes lower. Which puts people at their cap. Yeah. So you're playing at your cap 100% of the time. Like, I, I get that because they have league play. I get that. That needs to be in league play. But in general multiplayer, let's get rid of that. 
let's just allow the lobbies to fill organically and what happens happens if there's one player who is nine times better than anybody else in that lobby so be yeah, it because easily he could be the worst person in the next lobby he goes to or she goes to yeah it's just rng gaming's always been there's whole games games so massive you wouldn't even believe that their root is rng if rng disappeared the game would not exist your favorite game yeah it's one of those games so it's there's so much to these (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i think uh I think that brings us to it's a personal conversation. I believe so. Let's see. First question. If you could visit any planet, what planet would you visit and why? Hmm. I I would have to say Pluto. And the reason why I'm choosing Pluto is because of why it's why it's different. It has an oval flight path trajectory around the sun. It's got you know sometimes it comes in and out of our I don't know is that our in and out of our galaxy? Because I know Pluto's been within question. Sometimes they call it an exo. Sometimes they, it's a planet. Um, it, it definitely dips the furthest out of our solar system than any other planet. Yeah. I, I don't even think it's orbited once since we've discovered yeah, it. Yeah, probably not. But, so, that's kind of what, like, if I could spend some time on that planet, could you imagine the things you could see? It could take you out there, and maybe there's a whole other system of of planets that I don't know. I think logically. <laughs> I mean, the basic answer would be Saturn. Okay. I would I wouldn't mind being a Saturn. I mean, the rings are cool. I mean, I have a pretty hefty telescope, and I've seen those rings, and they are awesome. To be able to see those up close would be pretty cool. Um, but in reality, I think I'd go a little closer to home with Mars. I feel like Mars, just being able to see what Earth would look like if it was just completely desolate. I think that's the greatest equalizer. I mean, in size and whatnot, it's Venus, but Venus is so much different than Earth with the atmosphere and the atmospheric pressure and most of the land underneath being a hellscape. But Mars, I mean, it'd be cool to be able to see Earth in the night sky. Yeah. Just know that one blue dot is where you're from. I mean, I think there's going to be people that get to experience that here soon. Oh, pretty exciting. So, yeah. That's a race right now. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to get there first? But, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, the if I had to choose a second one, it would honestly be Venus. And I'm I'm speaking in terms of I could go anywhere. Like, heat and yeah. stuff like that doesn't bother you. 
because Venus, they say, is one of the be- most beautiful places you can see. They claim that's actually why it has the name it has. So, aside from the crushing atmosphere and things like that, and the very toxic, I think it's very toxic too. There, it's like literally gas. Yeah, I think it rains. Yeah, I think it rains. Yeah. So, acid. aside from the hellishness to it, it, it does seem like a really cool place to be able to just go and roam for a little while and check out. Plus, you'd still get that Earth experience you're talking about because it's a. If I'm not mistaken, I mean, um, let me look through some research. So I might have another answer for going off. Nothing bothers you. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I think it might be in our See, system. I go to, personally, okay. I go to all of them. I, I'm a space, like, I love space. I just think it's awesome. <laughs> so, Neptune. Or Uranus. Which one, the one with the big storm that like just never stops. Oh, that's okay. Jupiter. Yeah. But <laughs> Neptune and Uranus, it rains diamonds. Yeah, that's it. That would be cool just to see that because just think sunlight glistening through that. It'd be a constant rainbow. It'd be so cool to see. I mean, it probably would hurt a little bit, but if we're taking that out of the equation, that'd be awesome yeah. to see. Makes you wonder what happened. I mean, there obviously can't be an infinite source of diamonds. The planet would gain mass. I wonder if they're, they decompose somehow and cycle back up to becoming yeah. diamonds again. <laughs> Something interesting. There. How does it rain? Diamonds on Neptune. Diamond rain phenomenon is believed by sometimes to take place in Neptune. Our solar system is known to is thought to exist some thousand, eight thousand kilometers below the surface, created from commonly found mixtures of hydrogen and carbon squeezed together at incredible pressure. Okay. So it seems like there's a lot of carbon dioxide, things like that, on the planet. So. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. It's this similar. I, I would love to get just all the planets and even the sun if we're talking like in incapability to die. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I would get all the planets. It'd be cool. It'd be neat. Yes, the sun would yes. be crazy. Yeah, that'd be a fun ride. <laughs> all right. That brings us into what is your biggest fear? Um, I can lead off this one. Uh, just thinking. So, when we're answering this, is it biggest physical fear or like psychological fear? Like physical being like, I don't know, wolves. Okay. Hmm. So, for physical, I am not a big old fan of spiders. Psychologically, I, I would think a failure. Got a pretty big fear of failure. Yeah. I can see that causes failure can cause anxiety, fear of failure, mm-hmm. pre-anxiety things like that. Um. 
for me, the physical would be my biggest physical fear yeah i'd say spiders i hate spiders like compared to snakes because you always got that debate snakes or spiders spiders for me yeah. hate spiders. <laughs> like at least a snake you can generally notice and get away from it i don't know there's something about a snake i feel like these you so i'm gonna go with the spider as well because we actually deal with those there's not like a tiger or a blue ringed octopus in the river or anything like that around here. It makes me wonder what what do you think people in Australia are scared of being that they deal with both snakes yeah. and spiders? <laughs> like on a daily basis. I feel like I think a lot of them are it's sharks. And maybe. I think they got a good old shark population going on down there, maybe jellyfish. Yeah, there is that jellyfish. It's extremely yeah, box jellyfish. Yeah. I think that's in most of Australia's waters. Yeah, they're real long too. So like, and I think they pack. So if they move in, like, mm-hmm. very likely that you're going to encounter one if they're near. Yep. But I'm gonna say, moving on from that, though, my my biggest psychological fear. Hmm. It would be failing to achieve everything that I set out to. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to just say failure and piggyback off yours. So it's, it, it's, it really is that though, you know, like, uh, I look, I look at my life now and I'm like, oh, I'm almost 30, you know, I'm not old, but I'm not young either anymore. So you think mm-hmm. about these things, and it's like, man, you know, all the things that you got to worry about as an adult, but then whenever you put them things away and you just want to kind of imagine and, and be theoretical, I, I guess I've looked at this too, and I'm like, man, if I never get to accomplish this or experience that or do this and that, those are things I, that really mean something to me. Those would be like life-altering things to me to be able to do or have. And they're things that have been a part of what's driven me to where I'm at and where I'm going, the trajectory that I'm on. So not to fail to accomplish those things would be, it'd be tragic to me if I had control Mm -hmm. over it. You know, if something caused me to not accomplish those goals to some fault of my, not of my own, then obviously it's a different story, but. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that. Okay. All right, leads us into a "Would you rather?" So this one's interesting. Would you rather have skin that changes color based on your emotions, or tattoos appear all over your body depicting what you did yesterday? That's. I'm sitting here imagining myself in both situations and. Hmm. I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna say the tattoos because every time doesn't have to be bad. Like, let's say every day you do something embarrassing that you don't want people to see the next day. 
That's okay because the tattoo might be on your chest. And then it goes away the next day anyway. Whereas if I, I let's go out there, I'm going to put myself on a spot here. You, you know, you're talking to, let's say you're with your wife and you're, this isn't even me anymore. You're talking to your wife and you're in a situation where there's, you know, a very attractive female and you turn green because you get a little, a little excited about her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's going to be some implications there. <laughs> yeah. But that brings you to the other thing. Imagine just having a tattoo of you shitting yourself. That's your true. And maybe that's the day that it's on your forehead and you have a big meeting today at work. I mean, you're rolling them dice. But I, I'd, I'd much rather roll those dice <laughs> than change color. <laughs> Tattoo of you just dropping a meat log into your face. Yeah, like every day I'm going to have my bowel movements tattooed on me and the negative things that I've said, derogative terms and things. Hopefully most of them are concealable. (laughs) But I'm going to roll them dice versus changing colors because I don't want everyone to know what I'm thinking. That would be terrible. (laughs) Yeah, it could be awkward. So I'd probably go the same route with that. I mean, I don't do much that's too embarrassing. Mine would be kind of boring. Yeah, that's kind of easier for me, too, because like, there's not a lot of things that I wouldn't want people to know tomorrow on a day-to-day basis. Like, Yeah, I don't really think there's a lot I have to hide. <laughs> yeah, I mean, see me eating fondue tomorrow. On my body, so <laughs> good experience there. But no, that leads us into our final topic, I believe, which is the Demon Quarter Night. But first, we're going to have our first ever commercial. Hey, everyone! Have any of you guys ever thought about starting a podcast yourselves? Well, if so, you should check out Riverside.fm. They're amazing, they're who we use, and they're affiliates of ours. So if you guys happen to subscribe, we get a little kickback for that. Thank you guys, and let's get back into the episode. Alright guys, let's get into the Demon Core. Um, so, for those of you that don't know what the Demon Core is, it was a spherical 14-pound, basically, ball of plutonium which made it at its subcritical mass, which <clears throat> which means it is the smallest amount of visible material needed for a sustained nuclear chain reaction. So this was ready to go, ready to do its thing. Um, it was manufactured during World War II, during the Manhattan Project, um, it was supposed to be a core for atomic bomb, but it was supposed to be the third weapon we dropped in Japan, but Japan surrendered, so the core was sent to Los Alamos for testing and potential use, uh, use later. Um, what makes this special and where it gets its name from is actually involved in two fatal accidents at Los Alamos. Um, the first 
physicist being Harry Daglin and the second being Louis Slotin. They both got uh, acute radiation syndrome and died shortly after. Which, kind of crazy. <laughs> it's just not a good situation to be in. <laughs> you know. Nuclear core kind of just does its thing. So what happened uh, the first time around, uh, this was with Harry Daglin. The core was assembled and was to be at five cents. Uh, a cent is a unit of reactivity in a nuclear core. Um, in this state, there's only a small safety margin. So we're already on the edge of death here. So what they would do is basically cover up the core, allowing electrons to bounce back in, splitting more atoms, and basically starting up that uh, radioactive chain. I see. It kind of like escalates it, but also contains, so it's like double beneficial. Yeah. So the way they were doing this the first time around was uh, tungsten and carbide bricks, which they would basically stack up around the core. Um, what happened was Daglin accidentally dropped one onto the core, and it made the core go super critical. Um, he quickly moved the brick off the assembly, but received a fatal dose of radiation. So they don't know how long. I would assume it was only seconds that this thing was covered up. Yeah. So within seconds, he got a fatal dose. Which, that, that's just crazy to think about. Was that the incident that covered... He had a group of students with him, and he was kind of showing off? No, that that's the second okay. one. Second incident. So two people there lost their lives. Okay. Um, so Daglin, obviously, 25 days after the accident. And then Robert Hemmerly, who was with him there as a special engineer attachment guard he died from leukemia at the age of 62 which they attributed to the accident yeah. itself i remember reading up on the both of them both incidents and it, it yeah. was like you wouldn't know at the time like if me and you went into the lab and i did that we'd both just laugh about it and be like that was weird and we just casually walk out mm-hmm. but the, you know the coming days obviously <laughs> It'd be more than just weird. Yeah. So, the second time around, uh, they had beryllium spheres, and they would cover half of it, and then have a space between to keep it from going super critical. And the way Lewis Slotin did this was holding a screwdriver in between the two spheres. So eventually, you know, you get very comfortable. Most of us do. Because you've done it so many times, nothing bad's happened. I mean, you think about messing around with a core of plutonium that's already killed one person. 
you think, oh, how could you be comfortable with that? I mean, you do that 15 days in a row, you're going to be very comfortable with messing around with this core. So what happened was slot and screwdriver slipped, which allowed the little top reflector to completely fall in place. Um, it's reported that a blue light flashed out in a heat wave came across, uh, the core became super critical. Slotten then twisted his wrist, which flipped the top floor on. Uh, the heating of the core and shell stopped the criticality within seconds of its initiation, while Slotten's reaction prevented um, a recurrence or, and in turn ended that. Mm-hmm. So Slotten himself... <laughs> shielded most of the people. There was a good bit of people in the room with this one. Um, he sh- his body took most of the radiation let off. Uh, the nearest person to Slotin was a man by the name of Graves who was watching over Slotin's sh- uh, shoulder and was partially shielded by Slotin. He received a high but non-lethal dose. Uh, Graves was in the hospital for weeks. He died 19 years later of a heart attack. Um, they don't know if his father had a heart attack, so it could be hereditary. They really don't know. There were three other people. And what was special about this was Slotin had everyone with a piece of chalk circle where they're standing in relationship to the core within the room. So it gave us a general idea of when something goes super critical, how close do you have to be to get a lethal dose within seconds? It turned out Slot was the only one who did. Yeah. Which, I mean, that, that kind of sucks. <laughs> he, he died um, nine days after, so a little bit less time there. Uh, most of the people died of natural causes. Um, one of them, I believe... Uh, did die from leukemia 19 years after the accident, so that could be attributed. So, I mean, the Army, obviously, I mean, our military after this, obviously said, we should probably stop messing around with this thing because we're at two cases of people getting lethal amount of radiation because of our experiments. Yeah. It's, it's a shame, but I mean, they scientists in that situation signed up for that to an extent. And to an extent, you know, if I was going to be a nuclear scientist and do research as, as like a doctor in nuclear mm-hmm. research, I mean, I would accept that to an extent, you know, but like yeah. this could you happen know. to me. I mm-hmm. I work around nuclear active materials and I'm studying them, so I I could be hit. You know, I'm gonna do what I can to prevent it. But <laughs> so, what happened to the core after these two incidents? It was going to be tested on yet again for a third time. Uh, they decided they didn't need a third core for that testing. And from there, that core was melted down and the material was recycled for use in separate other cores. So it's 
It's interesting, though, because this is us on the early, early stages of nuclear testing and working with relatively new things. Um, just leads you to think, what are we working with today? That is an, a similar new playing yeah. field. I mean, there's there's all sorts of stories of little mini projects that, you know, one notable mm-hmm. one, the, the guy, the gentleman in the shed, um, I think he lived at home, single mother, and um, him and his mother lived at home. He had the shed, and he would go out to his shed and work on projects all day. I think the next thing they know, FBI shows up, and he created a, uh, I think it was a, is a fusion or fish? I don't think it was fission. It was a fusion reactor or something like that. It was mm-hmm. enough that, like, federal agents and stuff, like, he showed up on the nuclear radar. They are like, something's going on here. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, there's stores all over the place of people playing around with it. It's mm-hmm. definitely... And, I mean, we didn't stop there, by the yeah. way. I mean... We did critical testing afterwards. It just happens that one of the scientists in the room with uh, Slotin developed a way to do it remotely. <laughs> yeah. So they set up TV cameras and machines, and everybody was a quarter mile away from <laughs> the core whenever it was being tested. Yeah. The only thing I would have a problem with it, what if it did go super critical in one of those tests? Well... You hope it's in a controlled environment that, you know, hopefully these tests aren't being done in a lab that's built in the city of New York or something. You know, hopefully it's, I, I would imagine to have a lab or a permit to have a lab like that, there there would be some level of that, a concern of that going into it, you would think. You would hope, like yes. The city would not allow you to do something like that in I don't think we allow anybody outside of the DOD itself to do yeah. any testing. I don't think you can just go into like UCLA Berkeley and mess around with some nuclear cores. I think that's a pretty locked down. Yeah, I don't know how they train. I mean, if you went for your doctorate or master's or anything like that or some very high-level program in that field of research of nuclear, I would, I would think at some point you'd have to be exposed to it. But then again, that could be like a residency where you have to go work at like a nuclear power plant oh, and get all the clearances and do all the, you know, all the hoops. <laughs> I imagine yeah. that's how it works, kind of like uh, student teaching. Yeah. But now uh, I think that wraps us yeah. up here. Been a fun episode. Lots of it's always fun to discuss space and nuclear, and when you can get them together, I'm always excited. So, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but no, guys. Um, as always, like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell, and we'll see you all next. Yeah, guys. Time on Cody signing off this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, absolutely. Peace, Peace out. out.